Our reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, and if you would, out of reverence for God's word, would you please stand with me while I read from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7. It'll also be on the screens here on my right and on my left. This is the word of God. You then, my child... That's First Timothy. So it's actually Second Timothy. I'll read the right stuff. It's actually not what's on the screen. <laughs> All right. I just want to make sure I was reading the right thing. That would have been super awkward. All right. <laughs> Second Timothy, chapter 2, and then verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Good morning, Christ community. My name is Jason Baum. When you're going to preach a sermon in the, they say the passage will be on the screen and you look at the screen and it's not the passage that you've prepared for. That was fun. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Uh, for those of you who know me, you might know that one of my favorite authors is G.K. Chesterton. His book, Orthodoxy, is one of the classics and for me was one of my favorite reads of all time. In that book, he has a chapter on the paradoxes of Christianity. I've spoken about this before. It's the paradoxes of Christianity, Chesterton argues, that demonstrate the truth of Christianity. Chesterton wrote, whenever we feel there is something odd in Christian theology, we shall generally find that there is something odd in the truth. See, for Chesterton, the romance of Orthodox Christianity was that it kept apparent contradictions and it kept them pure. Today's passage for me presents one of those paradoxes, two things that appear to be contradictory and yet, in the end, not only make Christianity make sense, but make Christianity beautiful. What are those two things in this passage that appear to contradict each other? One is the Christian message on the one hand, the other is the Christian life. And then, when you put those two together, though, I think you can see the beauty of Christianity. Before we dive in any further, would you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful for your word. So thankful for the apparent contradictions, for the paradoxes of Christianity that have 
by your grace strengthened my faith, by your grace that make things beautiful, that make things balm for souls, souls that are filled with doubt or anxiety or difficulty. And Lord, it is your word and it is your grace to us that you allow us through your word to experience your beauty. And I would pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying, eyes to read what you have written, that the beauty of your word would ignite in our hearts. I pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our passage begins in the first two verses with Paul calling Timothy to be strengthened and then instructing him to pass on the message that Paul has given to Timothy to others. The first two verses, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. To put this call into proper context, we need to go back just a few verses. Two weeks ago, we looked at the end of chapter 1, and in verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy about those who in Asia had left the faith. Certainly, that had to be discouraging for Paul, and it almost certainly was discouraging to Timothy, Paul's disciple. And given his relatively young age, not only was it discouraging to Timothy, but it was likely the cause of some doubt perhaps creeping in. If others have left this faith, why are they leaving? And should I leave? Is this really true, what Paul has instructed me? And so Paul begins chapter 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. This sentence, this sentence, 2 Timothy 2, 1, is really at the heart of the gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is the grace of Jesus Christ. It is that grace which strengthens believers. It is that grace which transforms believers. It is that grace which redeems believers. It is that grace that heals believers. This is the gospel. This is the Christian message that weak men and women are strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. That is the Christian message. Notice, this is no summons by Paul to Timothy for Timothy to be strong in himself. The tense of the verb matters in this sentence. It's passive. Timothy is to be strengthened. Timothy is not the provider of the strength. Timothy is not the source of the strength. Timothy is the recipient of the strength. Many times when we are having difficulty or when people we are near are having difficulty, we encourage them to be strong. And there is nothing wrong with encouraging one another towards strength. 
but the notion of conjuring up in yourself strength sufficient for difficulty is not the Christian method, the Christian message. The Christian message, the gospel message, is what Paul tells Timothy. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Christian message is not self-strength. The Christian message is imputed strength, imputed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants Timothy to pass that message on to others. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul tells Timothy in verse 2, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Notice the four-step process here. One, faith comes to Paul. Two, Paul communicates that faith to Timothy in front of many witnesses. Three, Timothy is now to go find faithful men to pass that message on to. And four, those faithful men then teach it to others. There is no doubt an entire sermon and perhaps multiple sermons in just this verse. But for today, I just want to hit on a few critical points. First, the faith that came to Paul came to him the same way that Timothy is to be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't earn it. Paul didn't learn it. It was given to him. You can read in Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion. It says there that while he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he was transformed on the Damascus Road. It was entirely an act of grace by Jesus Christ. And second, Paul then communicates to Timothy in front of witnesses. Witnesses do something. Witnesses confirm what the truth is. Witnesses see what is going on. The Christian mes message is to be proclaimed publicly. No private revelation, no secrets, no select few. The Christian message is to be openly, publicly proclaimed in front of witnesses. Third, what Timothy received needs to be passed on to faithful men. The noun here for men can be used for both men and women, like people. This is not a verse that should be used one way or another on gender roles. Instead, what is the focus here is on faithful people. That stands in stark contrast to those in Asia who had turned away. Timothy was to find faithful people to pass the message on to, people that would stand firm in their faith. And fourth, those that Timothy passed it on had to be able to teach others. Teaching consists in part with innate talent. We just had basketball tryouts for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And some kids made the team and other kids didn't make the team. Part of that is that certain kids have God-given talents towards basketball that other kids don't have. But other kids have God-given talents towards music or art or reading, writing that other people don't have. There's a difference in our God-given talents. Some people are just better teachers than others. But the ability to teach also lies in the teacher's character, integrity, personal testimony. Caroline's brother was a driver's ed teacher for a while. 
One of the requirements for a driver's ed teacher is to have a good driving record. Parents don't want their children learning how to drive from someone who themselves cannot drive. We don't want to take driver's lessons from someone who routinely gets in fender benders. To teach the Christian method, message, Paul tells Timothy, you need to live the Christian life. To be a good teacher, you have to live the lesson that you are teaching. So how was Timothy to live the message that he is proclaiming? What is the Christian life? Well, Paul gives Timothy three examples of how to live the Christian life. These are great examples for Timothy, but they're also great examples for us on how to live the message that we want to proclaim. The three examples are the focused dedication of a soldier, the strenuous, consistent discipline of an athlete, and the toilsome labor of a farmer. First, the soldier. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier is not deployed to combat expecting comfort. A soldier is deployed knowing that he is about to step into uncomfortable, dangerous, difficult conditions. In World War II, even those who were not deployed used a saying, there's a war on. This was to remind each other that they were called to sacrifice, that they needed to live in light of the fact that there was a war happening. Even though they were not in the war, they could not maybe see the war, they had to live in light of the war. No one, and especially soldiers during wartime, should expect comfort. And so Timothy and other Christians should not expect comfort. Instead, he should have prepared to suffer as a soldier suffers, suffer from the opposition, from forces hostile to the cause of the soldier. And when you face opposition, when there's someone shooting at you, that probably gets your attention. And so a soldier is focused on what he is doing. He's not entangled in other pursuits. There's a saying that distracted soldiers are dead soldiers. So instead of distractions, soldiers are focused and dedicated to the mission that they are on. And it is that focused dedication that Paul calls Timothy to. It is that focused dedication that we Christians are called to to faithfully stay on mission, to not expect comfort, but expect that faith will lead instead of to comfort, discomfort. So the first example is the soldier. The second is the athlete. Paul encourages Timothy to the strenuous, consistent discipline of an athlete. Athletes in those days weren't basketball, but largely track and field events, marathon runners, fit the mold of an athlete. Well, in 1979, the winner 
of the women's Boston Marathon was Rosie Ruiz. And you might know of Rosie Ruiz. Instead of running the 26.2 miles, she hopped on a subway and got off and jumped on the course a mile from the finish line and crossed, amazingly enough, in first place. But an athlete is not crowned unless she competes by the rules of the race. And so eight days after the race, Rosie Ruiz was stripped of her crown. She didn't win. One of the evidences that she hadn't run the race was she was remarkably unsweaty when she crossed the finish line. Unfortunately, we have all kinds of examples in our modern sports culture of cheating athletes. Lance Armstrong, Barry Bonds, and while their shortcuts may have initially looked appealing, they are not. Instead of shortcuts, an athlete needs to stay with his or her training. Even when it hurts, even when she's exhausted, even when she'd rather sleep in than train, even when she'd rather have that cheeseburger, an athlete has consistent discipline. Disciplined in their diet, disciplined in their activities, disciplined in their training. It requires long-term consistency, not the shortcuts of PEDs. The rules for athletic competition require long-term consistency. And so, too, Paul tells Timothy, does the Christian life require long-term, consistent training? So Timothy is to be like the soldier, like the athlete, and finally, like the laborious farmer. I grew up on a farm. I know that hard work is what a farmer signs up for. Early morning hours, smelly jobs, dirty work, toilsome jobs, getting on the school bus smelling like hogs, that's what a farmer and a farmer's kid signs up for. I don't really recall signing up. I was just told to get up at four and get outside. Plowing a field, though, is not exciting work. But it is important for the farmer to do that, to get rid of the weeds. The Proverbs discuss a lot about what is required of a farmer. Proverbs 10.5 he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 24, 30, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. You can't be a farmer and be a sluggard. You must work hard. And if you work hard, you get to enjoy, Paul tells Timothy, the first crops. Now for us, we know what the crops of a farmer are. Corn, beans, beef, pork, chicken, milk. But what are the crops that a hard-working Christian gets to reap? In his commentary on 2 Timothy, John Stott lists two of the crops. First, personal holiness. A Christian who neglects to cultivate his or her heart should not expect to increase in personal holiness. 
But the Christian who tends to the field of his or her heart should expect that crop to grow. But it's a toilsome labor. The second crop is other believers. The Christian who really lives the message of being strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ and who proclaims that message will enjoy seeing others come to Christ. Now, after Paul gives these three examples to Timothy, the farmer, the athlete, the soldier, on how he is to live, in verse 7, he tells him, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul tells Timothy to think about this. And it's here in the thinking about this passage, about the pondering of God's word in our hearts, that great changes can come about. It's in this thinking about God's word that the beauty of God's word is revealed. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Think, be still, ponder God's word. So let's think about this passage. Think about what Paul has just instructed Timothy. Paul begins by calling Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. He calls Timothy to receive strength, not be strength. But then he goes on to three examples, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. In each of these examples, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer is doing something. How do we square this? How do we square the Christian message that we are not strong in ourselves but strengthened only by the grace of Jesus Christ with the Christian life where we are called to focus dedication of a soldier, strenuous discipline of an athlete, and toilsome labor of a farmer? Aren't we, aren't I right now talking, isn't Jesus, isn't God in his word talking out of both sides of our mouth? Saved by grace and grace alone. Work at it. How, how do we square that? Grace and grace alone and get to work. The answer, and I do believe the beauty lies in this. The grace of Jesus Christ controls our strength, but we are required to contribute to it. The grace of Jesus Christ controls, but we are to contribute. Soldiers don't control the war. Generals do that. But without the soldiers on the ground contributing towards the war, it cannot be won. Athletes don't control their talent. That's God-given. But without the contributions of training, the race will not be won. Farmers do not control seeds and rain and sunshine. 
But without the contribution of picking at the weeds, the crops will never grow. And in this same way, you don't control your life. But without your contribution, it will be lost. Each week, we ask you to fill out a Connect card, and one of the routine prayers on those Connect cards is for anxiety. I have anxiety. And my anxiety is born out of my lack of control. And my desire for control is a sin. And this passage, in fact, this entire book, is a giant message that I don't have control. The Christian message is that the grace of Jesus Christ controls. But while I don't have control over my life, I do have contributions I am required to make. Focused dedication, strenuous, consistent discipline, toilsome labor. These I am commanded to live. This life demands strength to accomplish it. And while I cannot control my lack of control, I can contribute to fighting the sin which is my desire for control every day, the focused dedication of a soldier, the strenuous, consistent discipline of an athlete, the toilsome labor of fighting that sin in my heart that is there every day. And that requires strength to accomplish it. But I don't have that strength. I can't do it. Soldiers in battle need strength. Athletes in competition need strength. Farmers in the field need strength. To accomplish the life we are called to live, we need strength. And so to live the Christian life, we retreat to the Christian message. Weak men and women are strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. The only way that we can live the Christian life we are called to is through the Christian message. Weak men and women are being strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Weak soldiers are strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Weak athletes are strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Weak farmers are strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Weak Anxiety-ridden sinners are strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. You can only live the Christian life because of the truth of the Christian message. And it's that that I think is beautiful. That we can only live like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is beautiful. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the truth of the Christian message. 
that it is in my weakness that your strength is apparent. Thank you that we are strengthened by your grace. And Father, I pray that you would continue to strengthen us. Continue to strengthen us to be good soldiers who suffer. Good athletes who run the race according to the rules. Good farmers who work hard. Father, that work, that training, that suffering is not something we can do on our own. So I pray that you would help us to retreat to the Christian message so that we may live the Christian life. You are in control, not us. We want control, but we will never have it. But Lord, by your grace, would you allow us the strength to contribute to provide our portion of what you have called us to, to live the Christian life, knowing full well that it is only by your grace and only by the work that you accomplished on the cross will we be able to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.